0: You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn J Town. In this series, we're following Jesus as he calls us to take on his yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. Matthew 13, we're gonna read verses uh, forty-four through fifty-one. I actually read through 52 in the first service. We're not doing verse 52, uh, just getting to 51. And we're primarily like looking at verses 44 through 45. And I'll explain this in just a minute, but the the parable of the net is an identical parable to the parable of the weeds and the weeds. And we kind of hit that last week. I'll I'll explain a little bit why I think it's there. Uh, But we're we're primarily looking at these two little short parables that Jesus gives us here uh, in Matthew 13. So hear the word of the Lord. So the kingdom of heaven is like treasure, Buried in a field that a man found and reburied. And then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And he, when he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and he bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown into the sea. It collected every kind of fish, and when it was full, They dragged it ashore, sat down, and gathered the good fish into containers, but threw out the worthless ones. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out, separate the evil people from the righteous, and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? And the disciples answered him, yes. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, once again, as we gather as your people uh, that are sitting under your word, God, please help us to hear and help us to see the wonderful things that are here, God. Help us to respond um, as you have led us by your spirit to respond. And God, we do pray for the different families within our congregation that are just dealing with sickness. kind of par for the course during this season. So we pray for their health, their recovery. And that, Lord, we would uh, long and pray for that day when the new heavens and new earth come where there will be no more sickness. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So several years ago, I um, had an opportunity to, uh, to meet George W. Bush when he was uh, president. And so, uh, just bear with me, I don't, just, I'm don't. i not getting into politics here, I just want to give you a little story in my life, so I know there's all kinds of mixed uh, reviews on him, but, uh, but I did have an opportunity to meet him face-to-face, and so I had a friend of mine um, that was in the Secret Service, and so part of his uh, job was he had some details with uh, the George Bush administration, and so every once in a while he'd have to go to Camp David and and do the deal or whatever and so uh, we had an opportunity to meet him because he was coming into Louisville and actually I think he was going over to New Albany and doing kind of a speech and deal and so he said hey you know me and a friend of mine named Scott Riggs he said hey do you guys want to meet George Bush we're like duh (laughs) this is like an opportunity of a lifetime I don't know if you ever get a chance to meet a president no matter if you agree with everything he says or not it doesn't matter this is like a real deal meet the president. Of the united states and so we all obviously me and him said yeah for sure and so uh it, it was a lot of work i mean there's was, there was some application I had to put through we had to you know send my social security to do a little background check and thankfully that turned out okay uh we had to we had to send in like this I mean i think it was at least two hours Maybe been a little longer than that get up pretty early in the morning arrive there go through this meeting It was very really, very boring meeting but they had all the do's and don'ts of what you're not supposed to do you know and so some things you just never would have thought of like you never don't ever put your hand in the pocket don't do that you keep them out at all times you know don't make any sudden movements you know because you know you can go down right through there they suspect something there's some people watching you so you know you don't reach out your hand to him he he comes to you and reaches his hand to you. Like all these things that like the whole time I'm I'm like, man, I don't want to die. You know, I want I really enjoy this moment. Man, I'm really nervous. I don't even know if I want to pick my nose. Like I'm just going to stand there really stiff. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a really uh, neat opportunity. I was cleaning out my mom's house uh, back in the fall and getting ready to sell it. And, you know, my mom, bless her heart, she, like, found the, the, like, the front page of the Career Journal had, like, a big article about this. And sure enough, I was there, and she cut it out and laminated it, all right? Uh, yeah, laminated it, exactly. And so, uh, so there it is. There's my buddy Scott in the red jacket. Somehow a, a young lady squeezed in there. Like, I should have used my blocking out skills that I learned in high school. Uh, and there's my big head there. So, yeah, I mean, what a, what a moment. What an opportunity, all right, for me to get a chance to, to, to meet him uh, that close and, and to kind of have an opportunity to shake his hand is really, uh, really neat. So look, I, I share that story with you. Um, yeah, there was sort of a cost, you know, like I you know I had to fill out an application, I had to do, uh, you know, this sort of two-hour training, had take up a, a day of work, you know, and, you know, cram everything else that I needed to do in that evening, you know, just to have this opportunity, but I'm not bemoaning right the cost of the opportunity i had you follow me like when i think about that moment i don't think about oh gosh that meeting was so boring like i don't like that was pale in comparison to having the opportunity of meeting uh, the president of united states of america at that time the reason why i share that story is is i i think this is what jesus is trying to get after in these two little parables you know elsewhere um Jesus says, you you need to count the cost before becoming a follower of me. And I think if you're you're like me, we we hear that in negative tones, don't we? That if I got to count the cost, I'm thinking about all that I got to give up, right? Think about, oh, man, this is going to be really miserable. He may call me to go to Africa. Oh, my gosh, right? We think about sort of all this burden or this all these good things that we've got to give up. Actually, it's the very opposite of that. No one who becomes a follower of Jesus Christ bemoans the cost. Because God has opened your eyes to see and to understand the opportunity that's before you. And that's what he's doing here with these short little parables that are all about the value and the worth Of the kingdom of heaven. See chapter thirteen. If you you were with me last week, you remember this. But this is one of five kind of big teaching blocks in the book of Matthew, and it's and it's unique in the sense that it has seven parables uh, in this in this chapter, and they're structured in a very brilliant way by Matthew. So you got a lead-in parable, which is the parable of the sower. You like talking about the soils, the four different kinds of soils that the seed of the Word of God lands on. And then you've got these two sets of three. We talked about the first set of three, so you have a long parable and two short parables. The second set of three is the reverse of that, which we just got done reading. So you have two short little parables that we just got on treasure, the pearl, and then a long parable about the the fisherman going out and gathering a bunch of fish, and then he explains that parable. So same kind of deal here, but just reversed. And what we see throughout this chapter, I think these are the, the two themes, if you've kind of been following us, is one, uh, there's a theme of urgency. So the repeated refrain that we've seen in the, throughout this is like, you know, pay attention, listen up. If you've got ears, hear, hear me. What I'm about to say is, is pretty big deal. That's kind of translation here of the urgency of this message and not only do we see the urgency through the repetitiveness of paying attention, listen up, we also see it with these two parables of judgment, wheat and weeds, this little fishing expedition, so to speak, where he's casting out a net and dragging in good fish and bad fish. And there, Jesus is giving us um, just a reminder here that our world is not cyclical, it's not going round and round. No, it's, it's linear. It's a straight line. It's headed toward judgment. And I know it's not something we like to talk about. And even when I've, I'm reading this, man, it, it does disturb you. This idea of weeping and gnashing of teeth, I mean, it, it, it should disturb us. It shouldn't make us feel glee and like, oh, they're finally going to get it. No, it should really bother us. But over and over, Jesus talks about this judgment this is where it's, it's headed. And he speaks of this with, a, with an urgency that right now in this sort of in-between time, this in-between of Jesus' first coming and his second coming, this, this is where we're at. We're not at the end of the age yet. We're in this in-between, and this in-between is marked by this invitation, this openness. Come to Jesus. You don't have to endure the judgment of God like you can receive Christ and receive His just judgment for your sins upon Jesus fully. So there's an an urgency to not downplay and dismiss what's going on here. I mean, every Sunday the seed is being cast, guys. Every Sunday. And it's not just when I roll up here. It's from beginning to end. The Word of God is going out every single Sunday. Don't. Miss your opportunity. Don't assume. Jesus is bringing this idea of judgment so that we can feel the urgency of this moment. This is where history is going. And this is one of the themes we see in chapter 13. The other theme you see with these parables is kingdom. Right? It's repeated over and over. The kingdom of God is like, or Matthew uses language, kingdom of heaven is like, kingdom of heaven is like, kingdom of of heaven is like. And remember, He's just trying to help um, sort, of, sort of reshape our thing of thinking about the kingdom. Not just us, but the original hearers here. He's trying to deconstruct their idea of what this kingdom is, and he's trying to reconstruct it as he's revealed it to them. And so last week, we heard these little small parables that it's like a mustard seed and like leaven. It starts off really slow. Like, it's hard to see. Is it having any kind of impact or not? Or, you know, it may even look like it's failing, right? <laughs> but jesus is going no no it, it, it's inevitable the growth is inevitable it's going to everyone will be able to see it and it's going to have influence all throughout this world and here we see him talking about the value the worth of the kingdom and so remember just just for the sakes so we don't uh, all of all of us are sort of on the same page and i don't have time to unpack all of this about the kingdom uh, we use the language around here, and I know it's, it's more than this, but it's not less than this. So when we're thinking about kingdom, we're thinking about life with God. What does life look like under the management and rule of God? That's, that's what we're talking about. Now, now, this kingdom goes beyond just us. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be throughout the entire world. And so the message of Jesus is not primarily, hey, I've come to die for your sins, and if you would receive me, that when you die, you get to go to heaven. That's not the primary message of Jesus. He came, as we saw in the beginning of Matthew, preaching the good news of the kingdom, which in essence is this. I'm bringing heaven to you. I'm bringing the kingdom to you. Like, once you receive me as king, the kingdom of heaven is now going to dwell inside of you, and it's a slow process, but guess what's happening? Over time, God has taken ownership of every aspect of your life it's slow but it's inevitable it's going to happen he's going to continue and finish this work that he started and so what we see here is jesus is trying to help us see an essence this that life with god is this valuable this is how valuable life with god is you don't want to miss it this is how you're supposed to live this is the value and worth of submitting your life to the reign and management of King Jesus. So look, look, let me just kind of walk through this parable real quickly here. Just make a few comments and then try to land the plane with a, a few ways that we can respond or a couple ways I want us to respond to this. So notice, first of all, I mean, these are... These are obvious obvious observations here right So I'm, I'm stating the obvious but it's okay to do that every once in a while both of these guys find something of great value one stumbles onto it and another guy is seeking it out but both of them find something of great value i mean look at look at verse 44 the kingdom of heaven is like what it's like a treasure hidden in a field that sounds strange but i'll explain it here in just a minute when a man found it He hid it again. Like, what in the world is there a treasure hidden in the field? It sounds so weird. Well, remember, they don't don't have banks in this time. They don't have safety deposit boxes. They don't, like, if you have something that's of value and you don't want it to be stolen, you don't hide it in your house, you would go hide it in a field. And because war was so common in this time, people would hide their treasure, get killed in war, and no one ever knew about it, right? And so what is happening here is this guy's just going to work, basically, Normal day, right? Headed off to Ford, whatever. You know what Like, I'm going to do my nine to five. You know, just a normal day, and boom, there's a treasure. Oh, my goodness, right? He found it, and what does he do with it? He hides it again. Look what happens in verse 45. Same thing, all right? Just a little different. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like what? It's like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, so this is a little different, a merchant who's wealthy, looks like he's searching for something, he's looking for fine pearls, but even what we see here, he finds something sort of unexpectedly, right? So he's, it's plural there, he's looking for fine pearls, and when he found one of great value, so even though he was seeking, he kind of stumbled on this one pearl of enormous value. And so both of these guys find something of great value and great worth. And because this is of great value and great worth, look what else they do. They both respond in the same manner. Look what they do in verse 44 again. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field. The man found it. He hid it again. And then in his joy, what did he go and do? What did he do? So all he had and bought that field. I mean, it should be the Q, it's underlined, so we can say it out loud, that's how we're trained here, for those who are news, like, so you don't have to do that when I'm preaching, but that's normal, like, so, so look, he finds a treasure, right, and he realizes this treasure could be his if he owned the field, and so in his joy, he went and sold everything, this treasure is of great value, I'm going to go get it. Same thing happened with the merchant. In verse 45, when he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found the one of great value, what did he do? He went away and he sold everything he had and bought it. So both of them find something of great value and both of them respond in the same way. They sold everything to buy the field so I can have the treasure. They sold everything to go and get this one pearl of great value he sold all the pearls that he may have had or whatever jewelry he may have had so he can have this one they sold everything and so some of us when we hear this what may go on inside of us is that is this the work quote unquote that i've got to do to get into the kingdom is this the work that i've got to do to enter into a relationship with king jesus i've got to sell everything and then i can get in No. Selling everything is the response to the treasure and the pearl. You get that? Selling everything is the response. Selling is a condition not for finding the treasure, but for having it. So they both see something of great value, and they both respond in the same way. So look, man, if we step back and think about this, number one, um, this, this would seem crazy for someone watching these guys. Someone on the outside watching what these guys do, this is kind of craziness. Are you following me? So like, if Joe goes home and sells everything, and he's trying to convince his family what we're doing, well, we're going to buy this field down the road well Joe that feels horrible blah 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 it's full stones what do you what do you you mean oh there's a treasure like this looks like craziness if old Henry's been collecting pearls all of his life goes home and says I'm selling all these I found a pearl of great value like it just as an outsider looking at this this sounds crazy but to them it would have been crazy not to do this And actually write down foolish it made sense to them because of the value what they found it made sense for them to sell everything not only would have looked crazy as an outsider looking in but look also notice that no one tells them to do this there's not a command in there no one tells them to go sell everything Their treasure tells them everything they need to do. In their joy, they do this. By discovering this treasure, it causes a response to them. The joy of discovery causes the zeal of selling. First, the treasure, then the selling. First, the jewel, then the selling. As one commentator says, and I'm adding this in there, Kevin. I didn't use in the first service, so... You're so awesome to follow my craziness at times. But look at what the commentator says. The decisive things in these two parables is not what the men give up. It wasn't costly for them to give this up. But the reason for their doing so, the overwhelming experience of the splendor of their discovery, joy, joy enables selling, but only selling gets the treasure. So not only does it look kind of crazy, he's an outsider looking in. No one's telling him to do this. The discovery causes the response. No one is sacrificing either. Henry, or whatever I called him, I don't remember what his name was. (laughs) He's not bemoaning over losing $10,000 in exchange for $10 million. <laughs> Right? Oh, I just hate to give up this 100 I worked so hard for it. Right? Joe, whatever I call it him, he's not bemoaning all the pearls he's going to have to give up. Oh, this one took days. You know, this one took years to find. no. They're not losing anything. They're gaining immensely. I love how Dallas Willard talks about this in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. And I have been kind of quoting from him a lot over his last few sermons. Um, yeah, great guy. He um, was a professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California. Uh, he, he passed away here about a couple years ago maybe or maybe a year ago. And I read through his little book, well it's not little, uh, read through his book Divine Conspiracy uh, last year and I've just been in and out of it again. It's one of those books where I just want to kind of get it in me and especially with us working through the book of Matthew, he talks a lot about what it really looks like to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus and I love what he has to say about this, this parable. This is what he says, so this counting the cost is not a moaning and a groaning session oh how terrible it is that I have to value all my wonderful things (laughs) which are probably making life miserable and hopeless anyway amen oh how terrible it is I got value all these wonderful things less than I do living in the kingdom how terrible that I must be prepared to actually surrender them should that should that be called for and then he goes on and says counting the cost is to bring us to a moment of clarity and decisiveness is to help us see counting the cost is precisely what we see these men doing in this parable. Neither the worker or the merchant lose anything. Both of them gained immensely. So, in light of this, then then what what do we do? What do we do with this? Like, how does... How does God, by His Spirit and His grace, want us to respond to this? So I want to just give two real quick here. Um, Trying to encompass all different spiritual interests that are rolling in here every single Sunday. The first response that I want to encourage you with is this. I, I think some of us need to start with, do I want, not do I? I know it sounds really weird. All right, I'll just kind of write that down. and So start with, do I want? The verse is starting with, do I? Because what I, what I see Jesus doing here is he's making a declaration first, not so much a diagnostic question first. You follow me? Jesus is making a declaration. The kingdom is worth this. Life with God under His reign and rule is of immense value. You're not losing anything. You're not going to bemoan the cost. This is a great gain. That's a a declaration of truth. Jesus, God in the flesh, is speaking to us as a friend, as a, a lover as one who cares the most about your life and the one who's the king over all things and he's trying to help us see this is what you are to value. It's a declaration. But what we have a tendency to do with this text, and this is where I don't think it's very helpful, usually what we do with this text is we start off with the diagnostic. And the diagnostic goes like this. Oh, man, do I value the kingdom like this? Do I value, you know, the i really sell everything oh my gosh i don't know man i really like my car you know i i really like my Xbox. i don't know whatever you love i'm saying like that's where we all start and we begin this diagnostic kind of evaluation that i don't feel like is really helpful Because all it does on a Sunday morning like this, and maybe you already felt that. Maybe as I'm reading the passage, you're going, oh, gosh, I'm going to feel guilty again. I'm going to walk out here, feel really bad about myself, try to do some changing, and then by next Sunday, I'm the same, right? And so what I'm encouraging us to do is, first of all, look at this and see this as a declaration of truth that Jesus is telling us this is what is of great value. And then instead of asking, do I value it like this, ask this question, do I want? Do I want to value the kingdom as Jesus has declared its value? And if you want that, then that's a gift from the Lord. And God can use that. It's when we don't have any desire for that where I think there could be some real trouble and that would be really concerned. It's kind of like the parable of the soils, right? At the beginning, there's four of them. And the last one is the good soil, the one that receives the word of God and it grows and produces fruit. Look, you can't go and be that soil The application of that sermon is, now, hey, go be the fourth soil. Oh, good luck, right? Your heart is a heart of stone. You need the Spirit of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ to come and, and change that heart, this miracle where it takes a heart of stone to a heart of flesh to where now all of a sudden, look what happens with the gospel. That's why it's so wonderful. Your wants change. Your desires change. No, they're not where Jesus is they're not even close. You don't value the kingdom the way Jesus does. Let's just be honest there. But what happens with the gospel is there's a want. And so my prayer is that you're sitting here going, I want to value it like this. I want this to be what I see as of worth. I want to be one who doesn't bemoan what I'm giving up, but I see as Paul saw the great gain it is to have Jesus Christ. That's what i'm asking not do i value but do i want to value and if that's where you are if you're wanting this more and more in your life then first i would say all right i mean this sounds really simplistic but man this is where we start go and ask god for this this is what we do i mean that's what the disciples are doing all throughout this chapter shares a parable duh (laughs) right isn't that what they do but then they, they, they go to him and said, help us out. Help me understand. That, that's a posture of, of wanting to know more. Like, I, I think there's more here and I want to know more. Help me, God. Please help me. And it's the same way for all of us in this room. If you want to value the kingdom... The things of God. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about kingdom. Think of the fruit of the Spirit. If you want to value the fruit of the Spirit in your life or look at the Sermon on the Mount, if you want to value that, if that want is there, but it's not where you want it to be, then just bring that to Him and ask it. God, help me. Help me. You've made a declaration right here that this is what I am to value. I want to. Please help me. And then while we're asking, look, guys, We're also examining our life. Or a better way of saying this, we're asking and examining the way we live. And I've said this before, guys, and I I'm convinced that my ministry is a ministry of reminding, right? Because I need reminding myself week in and week out but we've got to ask him to do this in us and then we've got to examine our way of living because all of us in this room are being discipled by something or someone and they're teaching you what to value. All of us in this room. It's, you know, you're not just doing an activity. You're not just watching TV. You're not just seeing a movie. You're not just surfing internet you're not just looking through you're not just doing that that doing is shaping you it is doing something inside of you and so someone or something is discipling you and here's what i know about human nature because i'm a human being amen right is that is that i am one who has a propensity toward doubt i am one who has a propensity toward cynicism i am one who has a propensity toward unbelief I am one who has a propensity to kind of, you know, as some some writers talk, live kind of in this sort of framework where I don't feel like God's really active and involved. He just seems distant and gone, right? That's that's the propensity that's going on in my heart. That's my bent. That's my leaning, always. And here's what we got to know. We live in a culture that feeds that, (laughs) right? We don't live in a culture that's giving us the opposite of that. We live in a culture that's just reaffirming what has already taken place inside of me. And so by default, I might be being discipled to value the very opposite of the kingdom. And so not only do we need to ask God, I want this, then we at the same time examine our way of living and see how our way of living is actually maybe possibly discipling us to value something That is not the kingdom. We can't leave our way of life untouched if we're going to come more and more alive to God's kingdom and its worth and value. So what I talk about when I talk about way of life, I mean, I'm just talking about like habits, disciplines, and rhythms that you have in your life. What do you do monthly? What do you do weekly? What do you do daily? What do you do hourly? I mean, I know some of us have, we're always overreacting, going back and forth, and I'm not saying I'm I'm not one that does the same thing. I know sometimes we can use these means and become like legalism, quote unquote, that these become the justification of our relationship with God. That's really dangerous. That's not what I'm talking about here. You engage in these not to get a relationship but because you have a relationship, right? I want my eyes and my heart and my body to become more alive to the kingdom that's at hand. So where is word and prayer in your life? This isn't legalism. This is life. Where is it in your life? Yeah, man, we... We value this time. This is a weekly gathering that God's doing immense things in your life and you have no idea how much he's doing, right? He's doing a million things in you right now and you probably know half of them. (laughs) Amen? This is huge. This is very important. This 90-minute gathering we have every week is a a huge value. But it can't be all of it. It can't. Because you're stepping out into a, a world and a culture with your propensities, right? Something's shaping you, something's discipling you. Where's Sabbath in your life? And do you take a day off? That's legalism, Lyle. I don't take a day off. God did. (laughs) I don't know. He seems like he knows what he's talking about, amen. He set some rhythms in our life, 6 days of work and 1 day off. We're silence, we're solitude in your life. You ever just sit your phone down for a day and don't even pick it up? <gasps> I know. I think about that too. It's like I don't know if I can do that. Right? Your your phone is shaping you. It's doing something to you. It's not just something you do. We can't leave our way of life untouched if we're going to come more and more alive to God's kingdom and value and worth. We just can't. I was listening to an interview this week I'm actually going to listen to it again. It's kind of messing with me a little bit. I'm going to take some notes from it. Um, but This guy was talking um, about a, a pastor friend of his that's in the Bay Area that reached out to Dallas Willard. This pastor friend of his was going through kind of just a struggle, difficulty. Spiritual life was dry and got on the phone with Dallas Willard to kind of talk about this and ask some questions and say, hey, what kind of counsel and advice would you give me? And he said Dallas was really, like, quiet for a little bit. And then this is what he said. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. He said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life of our day. Like, I'm not done thinking about that quote, honestly. Honestly. Because, you know, if someone would have asked me, what's the, what's the greatest enemy of my spiritual life? Or if I would have asked you that this morning, none of us in this room would have said hurry, right? And I think there's a lot of wisdom here. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life of our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life Jesus Jesus was a very very busy man but when i read the gospels he wasn't in a hurry do you have space do you have margin we start with i i want do I right let's start here do I, do I want and we come to God it's like, Jesus I want this we ask for this and at the same time we're, we're always examining our way of life not to get something from God because we already have everything in him everything I just want to become more alive to that and then lastly and I'll be really quick here For some of us in this room, it doesn't start with, do I want? It starts with receiving Jesus. Like you're never going to value this kingdom without a new heart. And the only way you get a new heart is when you receive and put your faith and trust in Christ. And this is the period of time where it's marked by what I said last week, an invitation. The kingdom of God is accessible to you. It's right here. He's inviting you to come in inviting you to a whole new way of living. Repent and believe. I'll end with this illustration, I think kind of helps capture this idea of what it looks like to repent and believe in the kingdom of heaven. And once again, um, eventually I'll stop talking about Dallas Willard, but you guys are going to be there. We're going to be in Matthew for a while, so just bear with me. Uh, But he tells a story when he was a senior in high school where this company called REA, It's the Rural electrification administration extended its lines into his area where he lived. And what that basically means is he finally got electricity, which is like, we can't even fathom that. Really a world without electricity, right? Uh, And he goes on and uses this as a way for us to better understand what it means to enter into the kingdom of heaven through Jesus. He says this, it's on the screen here. When those lines came by our farm, A very different way of living presented itself. Very important there. This is what Jesus is offering. He's offering a very different way of living. Our relationship to fundamental aspects of life, daylight and dark, hot and cold, clean and dirty, work and leisure, preparing food and preserving it, could then be vastly changed for the better. But we still had to believe in the electricity and its arrangements, understand them, and take practical steps involved in relying on it. This illustration helps us understand the basic message of Jesus about the kingdom of the heavens. If we pause and reflect on the farmers who in effect heard this message, repent for electricity is at hand, All right? And I laughed too when I read that. Uh, repent, turn from your kerosene lamps and lanterns Their ice boxes and cellars, their scrub boards and rug beaters, their human-powered sewing machines, and their radios with dry cell batteries. The power that could make their lives far better was right there near them, where by making relatively simple arrangements, they could utilize it. Strangely, a few did not accept it. They did not enter the kingdom of electricity some just didn't want to change. Others could not afford it, or so they thought. Because there's, there's not a bunch of hoops to jump through. I I, mean, I know it's really simple, but it's, it's just a posture of reception. It's just a prayer of saying, okay, I, I'm done. I'm done trying to live my life the way I want to. It ain't working out real well. I want to receive you, Jesus. That's it. That's all it is. And so for some of you, it starts with receiving King Jesus so that you can begin to value this kingdom in the way that he's described in this passage. Let's pray together. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com JTown.